0: Welcome to this week's EC Insights Podcast. We're joined by Nick Miller, Senior Technical Director here at Energy Consulting, and one of the world's most respected renewables integration experts. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. So uh, let's talk about renewables integration, give our listeners a high-level understanding of exactly what we're trying to achieve and some of the challenges and the solutions. So first off, first question out of the gate. Why is it challenging to integrate renewable energy like wind and solar into the power grid? It would seem to me, the layman, that it would be pretty easy just like
1: anything else. Well, Jason, yeah, it's uh, wind and solar are great resources, great right, renewables. Um, you know, we've got a hundred years and more a history of integrating uh, hydropower, which is another fantastic renewable, but unlike hydropower, wind and solar have some fundamentally different behaviors that really throw a curveball to all, all those years of practice that, that the power industry has put together to make to make the power grid be uh, efficient and reliable and safe. And the big thing that's different with wind and solar is you get the power when Mother Nature wants to provide it rather than when you ask for it. And that really makes all of the other uh, details of running the system start to look quite a bit different
0: okay and describe that in a little bit more detail so what are some of those challenges so in layman's terms help us understand what makes you know wind and solar different from say gas or coal or even hydro yeah
1: so it's a if you look at the way electricity has been made and consumed and I keep going back for a hundred years it's uh, the industry dates back to our founder you know uh, Thomas Edison from the earliest days of electrification there was a fundamental rule and that was the the loads the consumers the people paying the bills decided when and how much electricity they needed and the suppliers Edison Electric and all, of the, all the successors after after all these years have had sort of one big mission and that is supply the electricity when it's demanded and the big thing that makes the supply of electricity a little different than the supply of anything else. Potatoes, cars, you name it, water. And that is that it is difficult to store electricity. It is the ultimate just-in-time manufacturer. You make the electricity when it's needed and you deliver it to the customer. So we've got all sorts of of technology and practice and intelligence and smart people and smart tools and things, but they all grew for more than a century on the basic premise that when the customers ask for electricity, the power system provides it. Now we've got wind and solar, Wind, Mother Nature dictates when it's windy, Mother Nature dictates when it's sunny. You get the electricity. When Mother Nature wants to deliver it, not when the customer wants to consume it. And it makes what was traditionally a dance between two partners quite a bit more complicated. You got loads, customers that are doing what they want, and Mother Nature that's doing what it wants. And the third partner in this funny dance is the other generation, the thermal and the hydro, the other guys that have been there all along, and they need to change their steps. Uh, So envision this, right? The customer asks for more electricity uh, in the evening when you come home from work. You turn on the TV and the rice cooker and everything else. Gee, just then, just about that time, the sun is setting and the electricity from the solar panels is going away. Well, the utility used to get the electricity to follow your increased consumption when you get home from work by turning up the generation. Now they have to turn up more generation to cover the fact that the sun is setting from a lower place and that means lots of things. They need to anticipate when the sun's going to set. You might say, well that's not so hard, right? be pretty stupid if you didn't know when the Sun's gonna set but you don't really know exactly when the clouds are gonna come over and the problem with wind is a little more complicated still I mean think how much you trust the weatherman the weatherman will tell you yeah it's windy it's gonna be windy tomorrow okay good how windy well you know kind of windy right that's not good enough kind of windy is some electricity really windy is a lot more electricity and You don't have anything to say in the matter, but you think about that, and that enters one of the next obvious questions, is forecasting. Forecasting the weather becomes forecasting the electricity supply, and that's really exciting. That's given rise to a whole new set of technologies and new companies, places where GE is invested and other new companies have come, to come along in lockstep with the development of, better and more efficient and more cost efficient uh, wind turbines and cheaper and better photovoltaics are better forecasting, better forecasting for the electric side of what is the weather going to do to you. So if you know what's going to happen, you being the grid operator, the grid operator knows what's going to happen. They know you're going to turn on the rice cooker, they know the sun's going to set and they know it's going to be kind of cloudy and it's going to be kind of windy, they know what else to run. So the farther in the future, the cloudier the crystal ball. I can tell you in a couple hours from now with pretty good confidence, almost just looking out the window while we talk, what's it going to do in a few hours from now? But ask me what it's going to do 48 hours from now, not so good. So what does that mean? That means that everything else in the power system that's responding to the fact that there's more uncertainty, you know, less about what the customers are going to do, you know, less about what Mother Nature is going to do to you, uh, means that you need, everything else in the power system needs to be more agile. And the word we tend to use in the industry is flexibility. We talk about it when I talk, Uh, to the public, I use a paraphrase of the old uh, real estate uh, axiom. The important thing for running a power system with lots of wind and solar is, number one, flexibility. Number two, flexibility. Number three, flexibility. So, what does all that mean? Flexibility means lots of different things. for example, the other generation, and let's pick one that's near and dear to us, the GE gas turbines. Huh? GE gas turbines are efficient, clean, you know, they're great things, that, and, the, and the, the owners of those love them. But they need to be flexible. They need to be able to start with less warning, not an hour from now, but 10 minutes from now. And they need to be able to come up to power faster than they ever used to be able to be. And they need to be able to turn way back and sit there producing relatively small amounts of electricity in anticipation of the need to go up and likewise in anticipation of the need to be able to go down quickly when the wind picks up or the sun comes out from behind a cloud. So that's operational flexibility and it comes in many pieces. One piece of that is the generation side and uh, GE's done very well in in that space and they've added to their fleet and options ways to go and make existing resources work better and be more flexible. The new stuff is dazzling. But that flexibility is only one piece of this puzzle. Another piece of the puzzle is the institutional flexibility. And and I see this when I travel around the world. you know, the U.S., different parts of the U.S. have embraced, have different rules. You tend to think, if you don't know the industry, what happens in the U.S. as though there's one answer to that question. But think about it. There's no other question in America where the answer is what happens in the U.S., right? It depends on where you are. And that's true for the power industry. And in some places have, have have embraced different kinds of rules. but. One of the things that you may find, that, we find, that I find in the developing world, is that the existing generators have very inflexible uh, contracts. And it's not that the power plants can't change their output, but the owners of the power plants don't want to change their output. They are maybe measured on how little they change their output or how much power they make. So, if you've got a thermal plant that's measured on how much power you make, then you don't want to get out of the way to make room for uh, more environmentally friendly wind and solar. So, some those are aspects of flexibility, so you get politics and you get business, you know, visions of winners and losers, which brings us sort of to the regulatory. So before we get to the regulatory, Nick, uh,
0: you've given us some great insights here, and this is why we bring you on, right? Um, make it easy to understand for the rest of us in the world that uh, you know aren't steeped in power systems theory and practice. But uh, so you talked about flexibility, uh, clearly very important, and, and probably what you know people are more into is forecasting, right? Uh, we're used to the weatherman that kind of thing and understanding the importance of even our own lives when the wind's going to blow or when it's going to rain or when the sun's going to shine, right? Um, But talk to us a little bit, you know, on the wires and poles side, Uh, you know, what we traditionally call transmission and distribution. Uh, More often than not, you hear people talk about how, oh, well, wind plants or solar plants are way, way out, far, far away from urban centers because, well, there's no space for them in urban centers. And typically that ends up being where the wind blows the hardest or the sun shines the brightest. What kind of challenge does that pose in getting the power from far,
1: far away to the places where it's needed most? Well, that's a that's a great question, and that's an important piece of the piece of, in some sense, the flexibility puzzle from a different perspective. But you're right, particularly true with wind. People tend to not like to live where it's really windy, so the grids tend to be tend to be a little bit more sparse. Um, you yeah, have big big open spaces. Uh, that can accommodate lots of wind. If you look at a wind map of, of America, um, it's kind of fun. Right down the middle is the Saudi Arabia of wind for the United States, In those, uh, particularly in the high plains. Those parts of the country are not highly populated, um, so we need to be able to get the power to, to the load centers. And the flexibility and the tools uh, to, to do that also are something that GE excels at. So for example, uh, an area that I've worked in with GE and they're one of the industry leaders is reactive compensation and again, okay, those are funky words, but what that means for the layman is that GE has technology that makes the transmission lines look shorter electrically. So basically what you're saying is when the power lines are really long going from say,
0: uh, you know, far out in West Texas, and getting it to the load centers in the Panhandle or in Houston or something like that—those are really long power lines. This reactive power solution technology has makes it appear as if they're actually shorter. That's, That's
1: exactly what I'm saying. And uh, you know, it's pretty slick. And these these technologies are part uh, part of of this collection of technologies that that have grown into being called smart grid. So there's stuff at the at the transmission level. Um, you know, so these big lines that carry lots of power across you know, the interstate, the interstate power system. That's distinct from the distribution system where, where those are the secondary and the tertiary roads down where you live. Uh, there's different challenges with that. So for example, there's other aspects of smart grid uh, the, GE, uh, the GE works in automation and protection. And again to think you know those are all words but if you think of the transportation the highway uh, the highway vision is a good way to look at some of those problems power has got to get up onto the interstate and travel along and then it's got to come down through intersections to to roads that aren't quite as heavy uh, but still carry lots of traffic right those are Those are high voltage lines, but not extra high voltage lines. They will bring the power in and around uh, the urban centers and the suburban centers, and then you have another intersection where you get down further. And, And in the old days, just think driving, right? When the lights weren't coordinated and they weren't, right? The traffic would get snarled. Well, well... Think of that on steroids for the level of intelligence and automation that GE brings to those intersections, which are substations and, and, and transmission stations, so they can know, know where the flows are, and know where the traffic jams are, and know where the accidents are and reroute the power, reroute the traffic, so that things smoke flow smoothly and all that all that infrastructure that frankly the society has paid for terms of wires in the air and substations on the ground gets used more efficiently
0: so let me pull on that a little bit so uh, one of the thing that our company talks about pretty extensively now is this notion of big data the internet of things uh, the industrial internet as we call it in GE and and a lot of that uh, really all of it is based on understanding processing data and and it sounds like you know that's what this is in
1: real time you got it You, you got it and 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 the big data piece uh, leads to another part, right? So uh, the, there's there's lots of really important data at those big intersections. You know, you think on oh, no, all the highway systems already got cameras and things at the interstate, but you start to go down to the next level, and the inter- and the brains start to get not maybe so clever. Well, there's a little bit of parallel with the power system, but we're getting better and better. And then you get way down, close to you, the customer, close to your house, close to your Close to your convenience store, right? Uh, Your your shopping mall, and and today those parts are getting smarter and smarter, more and more big data. So the the power system can anticipate where the problems will be. We'll anticipate where the, ste- the heaviest loads were. We'll make, for example, the voltage, which is kind of a proxy for the quality of the flow. Think of the pressure, keep it healthy. And then that smart, that, that big data thing goes all the way down to another level that maybe you're gonna ask about, and that is right at the consumer, right at your house, right at your warehouse you are no longer maybe just a consumer of electricity you might be a producer you might have solar panels on your house in fact as time goes on it's very likely that you're going to have solar that you have solar panels that changes the whole picture so let's talk about that for a second so that's
0: a pretty major dynamic right a major different change that we've seen explode probably over the last maybe five to ten years or so people putting more solar on their house and you know you give the highway analogy and. You know, the way we've been talking about it, it's kind of a one-way flow of traffic, right, from the interstate uh, off the exits down to your house and pulling in your driveway. But it's a whole different thing, it sounds like, when you're leaving your driveway and headed to the interstate and going in the opposite direction. You know, how does that manifest itself when a bunch of people put, you know, and when I say a bunch, you know, millions of people potentially in different states put solar on the rooftop and utilities are required to buy that back what are some of the challenges associated with that
1: well it's interesting and, and there's two faces of that challenge let's talk about the technical the face first so so you're absolutely right and and again i keep coming back to this hundred years of practice uh, one of the one of the givens from Edison's day on was that the power flows down to the customers. Goes flows, you know, down is the word, right? Down to the houses, down to the... And, and the, the technologies for keeping that safe and reliable have grown around that unidirectional flow. And now, when the flow can be reversed, a lot, of the, a lot of the older technologies that were put in place are, are either inappropriate. They can get confused. Right? An old-fashioned, uh, old-fashioned devices for regulating the voltage out on, on the country road that I live on is absolutely baffled by the notion that the power could be going the other direction. So there's new brains, right? And this is again a place where GE is playing. Uh, sensors that say oh the the flow is going the other way do something different you need to add some new intelligence you need to have have better for example for safety perspective you have to make absolutely sure that the utility knows when the line is de-energized and your solar panels and your, your reciprocating engine that you put in your garage isn't keeping the line energized in putting alignment at risk. So it's not just money. Uh, safety is even, uh, safety is higher on the food chain than, than money. And we have to be very careful with those things. And, that, and that's where these, these brains
0: come in. So uh, that's a great technical explanation. I think it very clearly explains kind of the challenge, right? Even right down to the safety perspective, obviously. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the market factors, some of the economic challenges that this poses, right? Again, traditionally, the way the system's been built in that 100 years of practice the utility makes buys electricity from a generator and sells it to you the consumer and you pay your bill and that's kind of the end of the line uh, what is this new dynamic of people putting power from their houses back to the utility pose from a market
1: perspective well and and that is that is the <laughs> that is a big question right it's the 128,000 dollar question the and there's a number of different manifestations of that that are working their way out. I and mean, frankly, I'm not smart enough to know all of the answers to that. But for example, we see in places that, have, uh, that ha- are experiencing rapid, high growth of, of photovoltaics that there's a supply of electricity in the middle of the day when it's sunny that was a period when there used to be a lot of consumption, and that the prices were relatively high. It was during the middle of the day that the big thermal plants would make their money because the product was, was in demand and the prices go up and down. That's the way markets work. That's the way markets should work, if you believe in markets. And now, that sweet spot that was paying the rent for those generators, in a sense, the traditional generators, if you will, has got a big bite taken out of it, and it puts a lot of economic stress on the on the central station generator. So they have to find uh, other mechanisms to make themselves whole, but if you come back to the point that I made earlier, we still need them, and maybe not all of them, and we don't need them exactly the way they always used to be. So the idea, of, for example, of base load People used to build uh, fossil plants with the expectation that they would be base load, meaning you fire them up, you run them flat out all the time. That concept is, for the most part, becoming nearly obsolete is an overstatement, but but the number of plants to which that applies is much less.
0: So, so you're not really saying that we're not going to build any more gas or coal plants or that they're any less important, it's just the flexibility in the operation?
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We, I don't see a future, certainly not a near-term future, in, in which we move to a world that's, that's 100% wind and solar and hydro, wind and solar, uh, all the time. Um, we're going to need other, other sources of generation and we need to let the business model evolve so that those businesses are profitable because society needs that extra generation. But it's an interesting uh, technical and business point and, uh, and frankly this is part of the, the, the wild new frontier. In fact, the next generation, an area where I'm spending a lot of time geez, doing research we're helping our products evolve, is that we are getting to a point with wind and solar where there will be periods of time, not the whole year, but periods of time that might be measured in ones or ones of hours or or ones of days in which essentially 100% of the electricity is coming from wind and solar and the other stuff is off. The simple reality is that we haven't figured that out yet. So we've been making huge progress the last decade or 15 years on, on renewables integration. The, the wind turbines, for example, that GE builds, have so much higher level of functionality to make the grid run well and be reliable and be more efficient and be cleaner than they did just back in the days when, when it was the whole idea was just make sure the thing doesn't break and stuff some megawatts into the grid. That's the old days, we're way past that. The next frontier, at least one of the next frontiers, is how do you make it work when they're the only ones for a while? So
0: let me pull on that for a little bit because uh, one of the things you also see come up in some of the trade press, but even some of the mainstream uh, media that covers the energy industry, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, et cetera, uh, talking about the, the compelling future for energy storage, also known as batteries. Uh, so, uh, what? Explain that. Uh, how does that exactly work? What does it mean for renewables
1: in the grid? Well, that's a that's a great question, and and it gets people very excited, uh, mostly excited in a positive way. Although there's a, there are conflicting opinions on things. So, if we go back to my original premise, you start to it starts to make some sense to the to the, the casual observer, the regular observer. All right, the load is gone up and down when it wants to, and the wind and the solar are going up and down when they want to, and it's not aligned. So a reasonable person, in fact, in my experience, practically every reasonable person looks at that problem for about 30 seconds and says, oh, we need to store the electricity from when it's made to when it wants to be consumed. It's pretty obvious, and, and indeed it is pretty obvious. It's. When you peel that back to the next level of practicality, that people get excited, so to say, it is energy storage is a relatively expensive technology, right? and, it's, and energy can be stored lots of ways. The obvious one that everybody can kind of understand is a battery. Batteries have have many wonderful attributes from the point of view, but the reality is is that water behind a dam is energy stored and natural gas in a pipeline not burned is energy stored. So there's different gradations. When we get into this future of lots and lots of wind and storage, wind and solar, excuse me, then the storage starts to become progressively more important. But, not but, the best way to look at energy storage in my experience and repeatedly we've seen this and published, in fact, on that, is that energy storage is another piece of that flexibility mantra. Look, okay? F- Energy storage is a way to get the flexibility that the system needs to be economic and efficient and reliable. And insofar as there are times and applications for which energy storage is the most economic, cheapest, if you will, way to get that flexibility, it's a slam dunk. There are, you know, people, it's such an obvious solution and everybody comes up with that answer. You start to talk between different people and you say, well, gee, I thought of energy storage, too. I, oh, I did, too. That must be a great idea. That conversation is kind of happening in macro scale across the world. And some of those obvious things don't stand up under the light of day. On other fronts, they're fantastic. And one of the very in- exciting things that's going on with energy storage is that the costs? Batteries, in particular, are dropping at a tremendous rate. It's kind of mimicking some of the numbers that we've seen for photovoltaic solar. And every time, every step down the cost curve that batteries make, the bigger the the bigger the world of applications for which they make economic sense. So I fully believe. That we got a world ahead of us with lots of, lots of batteries in it. I am, as an engineer, a little wary. Some of the hype doesn't line up with the reality. Uh, but GE's playing in that space, and absolutely rightly, it's going to be going to be very interesting.
0: So let's ta- let's take that engineer's perspective, and, and kind of help us separate a little bit of the hype from looking into your crystal ball and telling us you know down the road you pick the time frame. Based on the study work you've been doing and all the things you've been seeing, five, ten years, fifteen years, whatever you, the time frame you want to point out, what's on the frontier for renewables integration? What's up next?
1: Well, I, and I did mention one of those, and that is that is the ability to go to these very high levels where there's almost almost nothing but wind and solar running, and that's going a piece of that puzzle is clearly going to be energy storage. There's a bunch of other Aspects of that, um, and this this gets off into uh, the kind of rarefied atmosphere. But the way the electricity gets onto the grid from wind and solar and batteries is through power electronics. Okay. So what's power electronics? Just real quickly. So uh, think transistors. Okay. So the transistor is a is a device that allows electric, uh, electricity to be turned on and shut off very rapidly. Okay. And, and uh, I'll give you an example that most people could kind of relate to, right? The battery in your car is 12 volts DC, right? It sits there at 12 volts plus or minus a little bit, depending on how much it's charged. It's not going up and down, it, it, right? But the electricity that we use that's coming out of the receptacle in this room and it's on the vast majority of those wires that you see in the air are, is AC, alternating current. And it's swinging plus or minus 60 times a second. That's what 60 Hertz means. Okay? It's a really different beast. So to take the electricity, the DC stuff from the solar, from the batteries, it's surprisingly enough from the wind and turn it into AC, it's got to go through power electronics. Okay. It's a collection of these transistors okay. to do that. But what that means is that the traditional, the big rotating chunks of stuff that, we're in, that are in the big generators are, are hidden from the grid, and it makes a whole world of very interesting technical problems and solutions, interestingly enough, because uh, The power electronics, the transistors, allow a level of control over what the power is doing, what the electricity is doing, that we never have, that you don't have with chunks of iron and copper. So it's a good news, bad news, but it's a new world for us. And and we're still, you know, the pieces of it are fairly well understood, but how the whole organism behaves... Is still new ground for all of us. And you would think we would know. You would, you know, the casual observer would say, well, how can you not know how this thing is? But think the power system that we live with is this gigantic organism. I use that word not lightly. It's got living parts that are, you know, living and dying and moving and the ability to know exactly what that is kind of comes back to your earlier question about big data. And big data needs to also be turned into big information. Right? Data isn't enough. Right? Data so it's the just, analysis that goes with it. It's the analysis that goes with it. It's the intelligence and the insight and the and the actions that that result from it. It's not enough to know that the car is in a skid. <laughs> you know, you gotta know what To actuate, and what breaks to hit, and whether right, and and multiply that by 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 tens and tens of thousands of interconnected bits, and the power system becomes a staggeringly complicated dynamic uh, beast that's getting that's changing very rapidly. It makes it kind of an exciting again as an engineer, but it's eh, scary is too strong a word. Challenging.
0: It sounds like we've got our work in front of us. At least to at least use the crystal ball for what's ahead even further. I mean, a, you know, lots of big pieces to a larger puzzle that we've talked about so far. So whether it's flexibility, forecasting, the role of batteries and storage, and you know, not least of which certainly is economics that fits in all behind the technical pieces of it. I'll give you the last opportunity here. Is there anything we haven't covered that you think is important?
1: Um. Not really. I think. I think the. It is important that, at a sort of at a societal level, people are aware of of the need. You know that, that that there isn't that there's no simple thing. It seems kind of you're so accustomed to the power system being from your from your day-to-day life being sort of simple. Flick the switch, the electricity comes on. Flick the switch off, it goes away. Um, but there are there are some hard choices. And and it's important, I think, for people to sort of be aware of their surroundings, the fact that they're, the fact that they are changing, and that we have some, we have some challenges relative to, to what are you willing to pay for what level of reliability, uh, what weight do we as a society put on, on, on the environmental impacts because there are on the visual, on the auditory. Right? It's not there's all sorts of different kinds of of environmental impacts and there's no free lunch. So um, we've got we've got all sorts of new options and options make room for people to make for society to make good choices, but good choices aren't made without thinking about. So that's where we are and going. Nick Miller, Senior Technical Director at
0: GE Energy Consulting. Thanks for the time and the insights today. Okay, very fun. Thanks, uh, Jason. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the next edition of EC Insights
1: Podcast.